going to be talking this morning about the mission of God. Um, I would like us to discuss a few questions, well, one question mainly first. So um, you may want to um, buddy up. And uh, we talked about this last week when Josh was speaking to us. So maybe less emphasis on the first question, which is what is the mission of God? And more emphasis on the second question, which is what is the scope of the mission of God? So can I give you about 60 to 90 seconds to discuss that? And hopefully you'll have cracked that deep theological question in that time and uh, we can have a chat about it, okay? In true science teacher fashion, I'm now going to continue... uh, um, I'm now going to just press on and say, but here's what I think. <laughs> so um, that's not to say that um, that uh, what you've said is, uh, but is 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 not relevant. Of course it is, but it's just um, it's just I thought I'd come, come. I'd give you my thoughts on this um, first, and then we're going to look at some um, a quote and a few scriptures, and um, and, and and I'm even going to give you a little Bible overview. Um, which should be quite brief. Um, so my, my thoughts on this were, um, God wills the knowledge of himself and his goodness to be spread throughout the world, and the church are a part of this by telling others about God. The lives of the people of the church should reflect the goodness and the love of God. God loves all creation, and um, though human beings, being his image bearers, have a, a special place um, in that. God's mission predated the church and possibly humanity. I'll unpack that a bit later. Therefore, the church exists as a partner in God's mission, and mission is not merely an activity to occupy the church. So this leads to this quote, which Christopher J.H. Wright um, states, and it is not so much that uh, the, sorry, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for His church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. And in another way, mission isn't an activity made up to keep the church busy. Mission is something God has been doing from the very beginning, and we as his people for want of a better phrase, partner with him in that. Um, And so, since I said from the very beginning, I'd like us to look at um, some scriptures from Genesis 1. So let me just um, read through these, and and they're on the screen here. Um, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish um, in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God has made um, humanity in his image, and he has given humanity a purpose to rule and reign, to bring his rule and reign to all of his um, creation. So it comes with a purpose, but it also comes with a blessing as well, which is um, why I left in, hang on, where was it? Let me just find it. Um, actually, it might be, oh no, just it, it, I'm, I'm thinking of something later when he said, God bless them. There we go, it's just as simple as, um, as, simple as that. So um, from the very beginning, God has a mission for Adam and Eve, 
It doesn't mention Adam and Eve in this passage, but it, it does later in chapter 2. So this is, this is what we would call pre-fall, before the bad decision is made. There's already a mission. There's already something for, for people to do. And I think that really um, extends the scope of what we think um, mission is. So God has appointed humanity made in his image to be his representatives to rule his beautiful world on his behalf by harnessing all of its potential and creating even more beauty and order. So humans have been charged with using their power to do meaningful life-given work. His mission from the beginning is to fill the earth and to subdue it. They couldn't do this, humanity, by staying in the garden. So it wasn't like... Um, here you go, here's a lovely garden, let's just chill out here until something bad happens, and then we'll deal with that afterwards. That, that wasn't the plan. The plan was that the Garden of Eden, which meant to be an overlap between um, the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. Like in the early, um, in the early part of the Bible, in the Hebrew Scriptures, um, we translate it as heaven and earth, but actually a better translation might be the sky and the land, because imagine from the perspective of an early Israelite who's reading um, the scriptures or, or having them read to them, they don't imagine the earth from space, and they don't—they've got no concept of that. All they see in front of them is what they're stood on: the land and the sky. What is above them? The heaven and the earth, the land and the sky. But the Garden of Eden is like an overlap between those um, two realms, and it acts as a base for humanity to exist in God's presence from which they can go forward and fill the earth with his presence and extend the, the beautiful life-giving work that God has begun there. And we get an idea of this if we keep reading Genesis in chapter 2 because it says that four rivers come out from the, um, from the garden. And um, those, those rivers are meant to be metaphorical of, 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 of God's mission coming out from the garden and, and, and his, his, his work continuing um, throughout the earth. Um, what's interesting is, and this is just an aside, I don't really think there's a missional connection here, but I find this quite interesting as I've studied the scriptures, and so I'd like to pass it on, is that um, the, um, we, we need to make the distinction between Eden which is the place, and the Garden of Eden, which is like a special part of Eden. We often use them. I've heard them used interchangeably, but I don't think they are interchangeable. Um, Eden was the land where Adam and Eve um, were, but after the fall, they are cast out. They're still in Eden. They're just not in the Garden of Eden because the garden is guarded by an angel with a, with a flaming sword. And Cain and Abel, it later implies that they come and they make sacrifices to um, to God at this entrance to the garden, which they're not allowed access to. So the garden is like the Holy of Holies, which the Israelites had in the tabernacle and the temple. In fact, the temple was decorated so that it looked like a garden, if you, if you read the script. It's that part of the Bible which you often skip over. It's like, I don't want to read what the tabernacle looks like. But actually, it reflects the Garden of Eden. Um, so I just thought that was an interesting aside, but that's more evidence for the fact that the Garden of Eden was a base from which... Um, they were to go out, and, and, and that, that was forfeited, but we'll, we'll come back to, to that. I want to mention another verse from Genesis where it says, Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And I think that's just worth mentioning because um, they've been given provision before this mission. But the, the, 
The trees for fruit also reminds us of the choice that humanity has. And we know early from the reading of the Bible that this choice is given as a fruit tree. And it means um, we either um, rule the earth on God's terms or we rule the earth on our own terms. So humans have the choice to partner with God and find freedom by trusting in his knowledge of what good and evil is, or they could seize power and define good and evil on their own, which God warns will kill them. And we know what they chose, and the outcome of that is they become suspicious of each other, they become self-protective, their relationships become fractured, which leads very quickly to murder and violent power grabs and all kinds of things like that. And so let me just give you a brief overview of um, what I think is the, 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 the main thrust of the biblical story. Clearly, I'm going to miss stuff out because the Bible's a big book, but, um, but I think this is important to understand the scope of God's mission. So God had a mission before, um, before the fall, and clearly getting things right is part of that um, a- after the fall. But let's just look at where the, the Bible goes um, with, um, with this. Um, so Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, and the pollution that has resulted from their bad decision goes with them and is taken throughout the world. And if you read the first few chapters of Genesis, you, you, you understand that things get progressively um, worse, and ultimately a whole civilization is formed around their bad decisions, which the Bible often refers to as Babylon. And its mandate is, well, what they've done is they've redefined evil as actually being good, and, and that's how they, they live their lives. And part of God's mission is to, to right this wrong. The Old Testament looks forward to an anointed one, a second Adam, if you will, who will achieve the victory to unlock this mission. Israel was another representation of humanity set apart to achieve God's purposes. Of course, we read that they weren't, on the whole, very good at that. The prophet said that God was going to send an anointed one to cover for their failures and uh, to transform the people's hearts and minds so they can make the right choice. And that person was Jesus of Nazareth. He said he was, he was going to be bringing the Old Testament... Pro- uh, well, he did. He, he announced, you know... Um, you probably know the story of he, he read the scroll in the synagogue, um, the scroll from Isaiah, and said, these promises are fulfil- fulfilled today. He said he was the, pr- the uh, fulfillment of Old Testament promises, bringing them to completion. And um, he also, we, we read about in Jesus' life that when he's tempted in the wilderness, he is confronting Satan. He has a choice at that time, and he, he passes the test, the test that Adam did not pass. In fact, if you look at other things that happen to characters in the Bible, you realize that there are tests which they don't pass. Abraham has, um, has a test when he goes down to, um, to, to Egypt with his wife Sarah, and he lies about who she is. Um, Israel has a test in the desert. Are they going to trust God, or are they going to instead make a calf for themselves? And we know how that goes. So, Jesus proves that he passes the test that the Old Testament characters didn't, which is really important. Um, And then Jesus announced that God had arrived to rule the world through himself. 
Jesus taught about God's definition of what good and evil is. So flipping it back around to what it should be as opposed to what Babylon has corrupted it to be. And he said that the real power in life is not through ruling with an iron scepter, but it's through serving others. According to Jesus, it's people who love the poor and even love their own enemies. These are the kinds of people who actually rule the world. And he came to take the consequences of our evil onto himself. And his sacrificial love proved more powerful than evil, than even death itself. So now humanity is presented um, with a new choice. The tree of decision. Adam's tree, Jesus' tree, which is the cross. In fact, he had the choice, didn't he? He said, you know, let this cup be taken from me, but not my will, but your will. And even though he knew it was going to be horrible, he still went through with it. And in fact, this is the decision which is presented to us. Here's the cross of Jesus. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to accept that Jesus is Lord? Or are you going to continue going your own way? That, that is our um, decision. Stick with the old way of being human or venture into a new way. And so, we read in, say, Acts and so on, that those who chose the way of Jesus find themselves energized by a new power, the power of God. And people who know that they are loved, these are people who know that they are loved and forgiven by God, they can become people who love and forgive others in return. And his people are called to a hope for the day that Jesus will return and come and change everything and make that role, which has started at the cross and the resurrection, carried out by his church, will make, um, we'll make that new reality complete. The Bible ends by pointing to a future day when all wrongs are made right, when evil is eradicated, heaven and earth are united, and humanity can rule the world together in the love and power of God. So what is mission? Well, mission is sending. We see from the Bible overview that, that, that God sends you know, I suppose he sends the Holy Spirit at the very beginning to, um, you know, the, the Spirit hovering over the waters in creation. Um, he sends the prophets throughout the Old Testament. He sends um, Jesus himself in human form. Um, he sends, he, he, his initial intention was to send um, humans to, to spread his goodness throughout the um, the earth, but obviously sending um, Jesus shows us what the right decision looks like. Uh, he, Jesus makes us right with the Father, and now he sends um, his church, his people, to make Jesus known to the world. So that is, I suppose, a summary of the way that mission is portrayed in the Bible. But now, but we often think of mission as, there we go, sending. We often think of mission uh, as um, well, let me share something from my um, experience. I think it goes back to when I was at university. We had something, we had something called um, Mission Week. And this would be something that would, um, that would I'm going to be honest here, I wouldn't look forward to. And I think it's, now I thought I was living missionally. I used to live with, I was the only Christian in my house, and I thought I was, I was basically on, on trial for them the whole time. Like, this guy's apparently living differently. Is he doing it right or not? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But that was, I thought, was an outworking of mission. But um, there was, there was a, a term designated 
Um, like how many of us, before I get onto that, how many of us have locked up in terror when we say it's mission time? I, I don't know. May, maybe it's maybe it's just me, but I am somewhat apprehensive. Um, and uh, so now, now, don't take this as me saying, um, therefore, we don't evangelize. Of course not. We must, and I'll I'll come to that. Um, uh, in a moment, but let me just share what I think are a few interesting anecdotes. So as I said, when I was at university, we had something called Mission Week. That's what Christians called it. The non-Christians called it that week where we try, where we, the Christians are gonna try and convert everyone. Um, and so battle lines were drawn and people got their backs up and, and, and whatnot. And, uh, and you know, we, we would invite people to uh, events and whatever. Mel did remind me actually in pre preparing for this that one event that we had was um, on the, the, so in Durham they had this boat called the Prince Bishop, which would just go up and down this small stretch of river and you could hire it out for parties. And the Christian Union hired it out for an evangelistic event because, well, no one could leave. You can't get off the boat. Once you're on the boat, you have to stay on the boat. You don't just come from the refreshments. You've got to hear the Bible preach as well, unless you jump overboard. <laughs> but anyway, that was, that was quite effective, I thought. Um, and, um, and I remember as well, at one meeting, we were told, um, let's practice um, spreading the gospel, um, you know, giving a summary of the gospel in 20 seconds. Because imagine if we get into a lift with somebody and we've only got 20 seconds, oh, absolute stranger, we've only got 20 seconds to share the gospel with them. So off you go. And so we practiced it and we, we had that. And, um, and you know, it was, the, it was a good tool, but oh, I, used, I, did, I did feel bad sometimes when I, I felt like I missed out on um, decisions. I missed out on opportunities. I didn't invite people um, to, to things. Or maybe they did come along and afterwards I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to follow it up. Um, I, I would become all tongue-tied and, um, and, and, you know, even though I had my 20-second um, gospel uh, message ready, um, I felt like I failed if I hadn't brought them to a place of saying the prayer of um, repentance. And I remember a friend encouraging me and saying to me, our job is to share, it's God's job to save. And so that helped me. But what we've been describing is, um, is evangelism. And for all the struggles that we might have, it is really encouraging when something good does happen. And I'm sure we could tell um, stories of that when somebody does respond, um, when somebody is open to the gospel. I guess my point in sharing these is we can't pigeonhole mission. We can't pigeonhole mission into just being a few kinds of evangelism, that it is so much more than that. So a few scriptures, I think, are going to help us with this. So there's one from Ephesians 1, chapter, uh, verse 9, which says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So the purpose of mission is to bring all things under Christ, all things in heaven and on earth, recognizing Jesus as king. Um, it uses this phrase as well, and you said something very much like this, Jamie, all things, all things, not just humans. So I think that's something worth dwelling on. But let me read this as well. Um, Colossians 1, verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him through him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 20 says, 
all things must be reconciled to God. But what is this all things? Well, if we look a bit further back in Colossians, I think it unlocks the key to this. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Here we go. So all things is things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and all things, and in him all things um, hold together. So by putting emphasis on all things, it expands the scope of what we think mission is. So there's a spiritual dimension to it. Clearly here, when it talks about you know visible and invisible, um, this is this is partly why Jesus was casting out demons when he was walking um, the earth, um, why he was binding up spiritual powers that mean to cause us harm. But I also think when we talk about all things, we can't make it too super spiritual. We have to talk about things on earth as well, um, not just humans. So God cares, for instance, for um, the animals and the environment. I think there's, there is evidence of this in the scriptures. For instance, um, there is, now I can't remember where this is, I, I guess I can search it up later, but where um, we are instructed to have regard for the life of our beast. Um, if you read the story of Jonah, there's an interesting bit at the end. Now I'm not saying we build a doctrine around this, I'm just sharing, I'm just basically sharing a few anecdotes here. But um, but, at the, but when um, Jonah calls the people of Nineveh to repent, um, the people fast, and so do the animals, apparently. That is mentioned in the scripture. But what I'm saying is, you know, there is a mention here uh, of this. And I might be opening a can of worms, but I just am using it as an example because I really think that God's mission means more than just we get saved, we wait to die, and then we go to heaven. I think there's more to it than that. I think I'm not playing down evangelism. We should be telling other people about Jesus, but I think there's a huge scope to mission. Um, and like Gavin said, more than we can actually realize. Um, because if that's all mission is, getting saved, waiting to die, going to heaven, then we may be tempted to have the attitude that, well, it doesn't really matter what I do with the environment or because I'm not going to be here and God's going to remake it all anyway. So why not just let it all burn? I don't think that's a good attitude. Um, I don't think it is at all. Um, that's why I think I think it's important to, to try our best to, for instance, live sustainably. To Josh mentioned, is, is recycling part of mission? And I nodded when he said that. I think, yeah, it is. I mean, not just solely recycling. It's like, well, if I'm going to take anything from this sermon, to, sermon this morning, I'm going to, um, uh, I'm going to make sure that I recycle more stuff. Yeah, clearly it's more than that, but I'm saying it's part of it. Um, maybe as consumers, we've got a missional obligation to choose ethical options where possible. Um, I'm not saying I always do, but. I try to be more aware of this as, as time goes on. Perhaps we do need to ask ourselves, though the, though, the questions, which of the products that we're consuming in our everyday life are 
um, are made by people who, who, you know, do they work in adequate working conditions? Are they getting paid a fair, a fair wage? Are they being forced to work 12 plus hour shifts to make things cheaply for us? Um, I just think these are questions that we need to be ask ourselves and, and be prayerful about. You know, do the country, do the companies that we purchase from, are they more like Babylon or not? And I know that this might make it very hard for us, but I think these are things that we need. And I'm not saying that we're going to change it overnight. You know, Paul, for instance, preached about, um, um, interestingly enough, Paul didn't say in his letters, abolish slavery. Because he realized that in the first century, um, although he didn't agree with slavery, that um, that in the first century, Christianity was very much a grassroots small movement and wasn't really going to have the influence to undo um, slavery. I'm using that as an example because, um, well, I think these days we probably are in a better position to challenge um, things like that. And just because it exists, it doesn't mean to say we should just brush it under the carpet. Anyway. That rant is um, over. It's something to bear in mind. Mission is overall a Christ-centered lifestyle, and it's not just one um, activity. Is it living a holy life? Yes. Is it telling others about him? Yes. Is it taking care of his creation? Yes. Is it more things? Definitely. Um, and we need to be praying that God opens our eyes to those um, things. So just to conclude... Um, we are his. I've chose this graphic, by the way, because I, this this is this is meant to represent all things. Because it's um, well, it's the universe, and I like space. Um, anyway, um, so uh, we uh, so in conclusion, we are his um, mission partners to tell others about Jesus, so that may though they may also become his mission partners. But that isn't all of it. Jesus came to restore all things, all things, and that's pretty big. And we have a part to play in that as well. So a couple of questions to think about. I'm not going to bring the microphone around, but I think we need to be prayerfully asking ourselves this question. Is there more to living out mission than I am currently doing? And if so, what part can I play in it? Mm -hmm.